morning. Welcome to the Seeking Pearls podcast. My name is Rebecca Meitinger. It is wonderful to be here with you today. Today we are going to be in our third session on the book of Colossians. We are studying the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Colossae. We are taking this letter in eight weeks. So it's four chapters long and we are doing half a chapter approximately each in each episode. Today we are in the beginning of chapter two and we're not going to cover exactly half of the chapter. As I look at where to split chapter two, there is not a great place to split chapter two. Uh, But I believe that today we are going to go from verses one through eight. Today's text is beautiful looking at the treasure that is the Lord Jesus Christ and that in him lie all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge that we could ever need or desire or want or imagine that all of the treasure of wisdom and knowledge lies within the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're not going to take a very large amount of verses today. We're just going to really zero in on what that means. When we left off last week at the end of chapter 1, the Apostle Paul had just explained to the people that there is this great mystery of God that had been hidden for ages and generations, but now has been made known. The mystery has layers to it, and the first layer that was unveiled for us last week was that the gospel is for the Gentiles and the Jews that the message of Jesus and salvation through Jesus Christ is for the Gentiles as well as the Jews. And then he went on to say another layer of the mystery is that Christ lives in us. He said that the mystery is Christ in us, the hope of glory, so that Christ would dwell in us, Jews and Gentiles alike, and that he would um, be the hope of glory inside all of us, any person he dwells in. Today we're going to get another layer of the mystery. When we left off last week, we also, the way he ends chapter 1, is reminding the people of of Colossae that he is praying for them, and that Epaphras, who is in prison with Paul now in Rome, is also praying for the people. At the end of chapter 1, in verse 29, the very last verse of chapter 1, Paul writes, To this end, uh, and that being that his desire is to, to help people become mature in Christ, to grow in Christ, and he says, To this end, I strenuously contend with all of the energy that Christ so powerfully works in me. And we talked last week about how that strenuous contending is in prayer, that Paul is praying strenuously for the maturing of the Christian people in Colossae. As chapter 2 begins, I want us to remember that uh, when Paul wrote these letters, he was not dividing them into chapters and verses. So chapter 2 begins right where chapter 1 leaves off. He continues to talk about how he's praying for them. So like I've done in the past, I want to read this as a letter because it is in fact a letter. So as I start chapter 2, 
We are going to read the text for today, which is verses 1 through 8. And I'm just going to read straight through the way that you would read a letter. And then I will go back up to the beginning of chapter 2 and we will go verse by verse. So at the beginning of chapter 2, reading in Jesus' name, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthening in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. All right, so as we begin, we're going to go back to the beginning now and we're going to really look through this verse by verse. Paul writes to them, just as he had just ended in in chapter 1, he restates In chapter 2, verse 1, he restates, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. Okay, Laodicea is a nearby city where the gospel also was preached probably also by Epaphras who planted the church in Colossae. And Paul has heard about these churches through his friend Epaphras, and he is in prison now in Rome, and they are praying so fervently that they call it hard work and struggling and contending, that they are working hard in prayer for these churches in Colossae and Laodicea. And Paul says, and for all who have not met me personally, even though they've not met him and he hasn't met the, these people in this church, he is praying hard for them. And it's important to him that they know that. I have been a little bit stuck on that. Like, why is that so important that Paul wants them to know how hard he's praying for them? And I think there's a couple of reasons why, as I've pondered this, I think one of the reasons is simple, simply as a model. That is a model of maturity. He just said that I want to help everybody grow to maturity in Christ. He said that in chapter 1, verse 28. And a model of maturity is an intense, fervent prayer life. And so he is letting them know, like, this is part of maturity. Praying, beseeching, 
fervently to the Lord on the behalf of new believers and other believers and other churches. This is part of maturity in Christ. And I want you to know that I am praying for you in that way. I think another reason that he wants them to know how hard he's praying for them is that they would understand the depth of importance it is. What Paul is encouraging them to do throughout chapter 2 specifically is to not stray from the gospel they received about the Lord Jesus Christ. As he gets further into chapter 2, which we're going to look at next week, he's going to remind them of everything that Jesus accomplished on the cross. He's going to go very in-depth on what was accomplished on the cross and why, therefore, we don't give way to all of these deceptive philosophies that are floating around. So he wants them to know the depth of importance of staying true to the gospel that you received. And he wants them to know that it's so important that I am working hard. I am strenuously praying for you. That's how important this is to me. Don't walk away from Jesus. And then in verse 2, he tells us his goal in prayer. I love this because I don't know if it's very common that we sit down during our prayer time with a specific goal. Like, what is my goal that I am asking Jesus for? Paul has a very specific goal in mind for the church in Colossae and the church in Laodicea that he's praying for. My goal is is that they may be encouraged in heart. I'm going to pause right there. That A couple of years ago, that phrase really, really gripped my heart and became my prayer for my husband for probably a year. As I was studying Colossians and just studying that Paul's goal for the people in Colossae was that their hearts would be encouraged. I think that is a beautiful prayer. Encourage their heart. So probably for a year, my prayer, my my main prayer over my husband was that God would encourage his his heart. And God did. (laughs) God is faithful. I still pray that very, very often for my husband, for my children. It has become a prayer that I use for lots and lots of people as, as I lift various people up to God, I pray that God would encourage their hearts. I mean, imagine what that means. Like if you think of somebody encouraging another person or cheering on another person, you can imagine just God himself cheering on the hearts of the people that you love, the people that you're caring about, that God is cheering on their hearts and giving them the courage and the affirmation that they need for the day ahead of them. I think it's a beautiful prayer. So he says, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love. Now in other translations, I'm reading out of the NIV, but in other translations this says that they would be knit together in love. So here Paul is definitely talking as a, as a church body, that the church body would be knit together in love, that their hearts would be united and knit together. Divisiveness will kill a church. 
That is clear also throughout the letters of Paul and throughout Jesus' ministry. He says, they will know you are Christians by your love. And he tells his disciples to love one another. Divisiveness will kill a church. In 2 Corinthians, we learn through Paul's writing to the church in Corinth there that he actually says that divisiveness in the body of Christ is one of Satan's schemes that we need to be very aware of. Divisiveness has no place in a church. And so Paul is praying for the church in Colossae and Laodicea that their hearts would be united, that their hearts would be knit together. And then we have this beautiful reason. The next part says, so that they might have the full riches of complete understanding. This blows my mind. What Paul is saying here is that the complete understanding, the full riches of complete understanding of who Jesus is, which was all that chapter one was about, all of chapter one laid for us like line by line who Jesus is. It said that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. In him, all things were created. He is the head of the body, the church. In him, all things hold together. Paul lays out in chapter one, who is Jesus? So now in chapter 2, he's telling us that I am praying that the people in this church in, in Colossae, that their hearts would be united, knit together in love so that they might have the full riches of complete understanding. What this tells us is that our faith in Christ was never supposed to be private or individualistic. Our faith in Christ is personal. It's very personal. I have a personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He dwells in my heart. It's personal, but it was never meant to be private or individualistic. In fact, the Bible makes it clear, and this scripture right here makes it very clear, that to have the full riches of complete understanding of who Jesus is and of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have to be knit together with other believers. The church, the body of Christ to which you belong, is crucial to your walk with Christ. It is absolutely necessary as a believer in Christ to gather with other believers whenever possible in your life. Now, I understand that there are places in the world where Christians cannot gather or somebody who has been arrested and put into prison and is living in solitary confinement uh, because of their faith in Christ. I understand that. In fact, the Apostle Paul himself while he is writing this, he is imprisoned in his own home in Rome, um, and yet believers come to visit him, believers come to encourage him. We find out that there are some people who seem to be in prison in his house with him. We're not exactly sure what, what all that entails, but he is not living out his faith 
in a solitary manner. Anybody who can gather together with him is coming to join him in prayer, in fellowship, and worship whenever they can, and he is seeking out fellowship with Christians and then giving out fellowship and encouragement through his prayer and letters to other people. It was never meant to be individualistic. We will not have the full riches of complete understanding of the gospel if we are trying to do it on our own. It is not meant to be done on your own. Get together with believers in Jesus. Go to church. Become part of a Bible study. Drink coffee and talk about the Bible with a friend. It is not meant to be done on your own. So Paul is praying that they would have the full riches of complete understanding. And then in this next sentence, he gives us more of the understanding of the mystery that he has been unwrapping for us. He says, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. He is praying that the people of Colossae and Laodicea would be encouraged in their hearts, that they would be knit together in love so that they could have the full riches of complete understanding so that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. Jesus is the mystery of God. Jesus is the great mystery of God. And Paul's desire is that we would know the mystery. Not know about the mystery. That is not the word that he's using here. To know in the scriptures is to experientially know. To experience to know through personal, intimate experience, to know Christ. And then he goes on to say, in whom are hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Christ are hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and and knowledge. Just ponder that for a moment. All of the wisdom of God, of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all of the wisdom of the Godhead, all of the knowledge of the Godhead, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all of the wisdom and knowledge in the universe lies in the Lord Jesus Christ. All of the wisdom, all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden within the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul's prayer is that the people of Colossae would be able to come to know him and discover him. And in discovering Jesus, they would also discover all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Do you understand the implication here? 
our entire life in Christ, our entire life in Christ is one huge, gigantic treasure hunt in which the treasure is guaranteed. And as we seek the treasures of the Lord Jesus Christ, we don't need to wonder if we will find treasure or where we will find treasure or how soon we will find treasure. Jesus is the treasure. Jesus is the treasure. And the treasures within him are infinite. There is no end to discovering the treasures of wisdom and knowledge that are in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no end. In fact, our entire life on earth, no matter how long we live, if we get to live till we're 102, and then through all of eternity, we will never plumb the depths of the wisdom and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We will never run out. Bible commentary writer, theologian, Matthew Henry says this beautiful statement about this. He says, the treasures of wisdom are hid not from us, but for us in Christ. These treasures aren't hidden to be kept away from us. These treasures are hidden in Christ for us to find as we seek Christ and come to know him and spend time with him we get to discover more and more and more and more treasure. There's no end to it. I have been married to my husband for almost 19 years, and it's amazing how much things I'm still learning about him. Like His personality and all human personalities are so deep and so complex and so wonderfully knit together by God that I'm constantly still learning about him. We can be out to dinner and he could say something and I'm like, I have never known that. Or just complexity of his personality that I'm still discovering. And he's one human being. The Lord Jesus Christ has more treasure for us than we can possibly fathom or understand. And we get to spend all of eternity discovering him. In Ephesians chapter 3, I shared some of Ephesians chapter 3 with you in the last podcast. And in right in the middle of the chunk that I read last week, there's this beautiful verse, Ephesians 3, 8. He says, This grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. The boundless, in some translations it will say, the unfathomable riches of Christ. Fathom is a measurement of depth that seamen used to use, sailors used to use. And if something was unfathomable as they traveled through the sea or the ocean, if something was unfathomable, that means that it was too deep in the ocean to be measured and they did not have the tools to measure it. So unfathomable literally means incapable of being measured. The riches of Christ Jesus are incapable of being measured. Jesus told parables about this treasure, which is just so fascinating to think about that he himself is the treasure and he told parables about the treasures of the kingdom of heaven which are all wrapped up in himself 
He said in Matthew 13, verses 44 through 46, he said, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and he sold everything he had. And he bought that field. The treasure that he found was worth more than everything else in his life. Jesus goes on to say, and this is the parable that this podcast gets its name from, Seeking Pearls. Jesus went on to say in Matthew 13, verses 45 and 46, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and he sold everything he had and he bought it. Jesus is a treasure beyond all comparison. He is a pearl of a greater price than we can comprehend. And as we get to know Jesus, we discover more and more and more of the depths of his treasure. We will never run out of discovering the treasures that are in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus told us to seek him as our treasure. In Matthew chapter 6, he said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Dear friends, I want my heart to be with Jesus. And so what Jesus is telling me here is to set him as my treasure. To set him as my treasure. To fix my eyes on Jesus. Make him the treasure of my heart. Because that's where I want my heart to be found. I want my heart to be found with Jesus. So then set all my hopes on him. Make him my treasure. A verse of a hymn that I keep taped on Paul's in my mirror in our bathroom is the third verse of Be Thou My Vision, which we had sung at our wedding. It's a very dear hymn to us. But the third verse is very precious to me and I keep it taped on our bathroom mirror and it says this riches I heed not nor man's empty praise thou my inheritance now and always thou and thou only first in my heart high king of heaven my treasure thou art Jesus is the great treasure Jesus is the single treasure of our lives. And inside of him are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge more than we can possibly comprehend or understand. And we get to spend the rest of eternity discovering all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We will never run out. We will never run out. Okay, the Apostle Paul goes on, 
And he says, I'm telling you this. I'm in verse 4, Colossians 2, verse 4. I'm telling you this so that no one can deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. All right, so he is just reaffirming to them, look, people are going to give you fine-sounding arguments trying to stray you away from Christ. But I want you to know that I am praying hard for you, that I want you to be united with your other believers in Christ so that you can really fully know Jesus. He is the mystery of God, and in him, in him, lie all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And if you cling to that, you are going to be okay because everybody is going to try to deceive you with fine-sounding arguments, and you need to be aware of that. So deception comes through fine-sounding arguments. Deception rarely or maybe never will come through something that sounds like nonsense. If something sounds like nonsense, we're not going to be deceived by it, right? But deception usually or almost always presents itself as almost the truth. Almost the truth. It's a twisted version of the truth. It takes the truth and it twists it so it can be deceiving. And if we cling to Jesus and stay in Christ and seek all of our wisdom and all of our knowledge from within Jesus and his word, then we will not be deceived by these fine-sounding arguments. And then the Apostle Paul goes on and he refers to his prayer life again. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit. And I delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Okay, the reason he can say that he's with them in spirit is because he is praying for them. In verse 6, he goes on with an admonishment, an encouragement. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, when Epaphras gave you the gospel, you received him. Just as you received him, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Okay, there's a whole bunch there, so let's break this down. Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, when Epaphras taught you about him, you received him, you believed on him as the Lord and the Savior of your life. So now he says, so then continue. Don't stop. Don't stop moving forward. Continue to live your life in him. So we live our lives in Christ Jesus. And then he gives us some description as to what he means by in him. Rooted in him and built up in him. So this should take us back in our minds to John chapter 15 when Jesus is telling his disciples that he is the vine and they are the branches. And he tells them to remain in me. So I'm just jumping back there to John 15 and we'll pick up what Jesus says about this. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, 
while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean or pruned because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So Jesus himself says, look, you need to be rooted in me. I'm the vine, you're the branch, stay in me. Don't separate yourself from me. And Paul says if we're rooted in him, we also then will grow up in him, which makes sense. That how, that's how it goes. And the deeper our roots grow, the, the deeper we let ourselves discover and know the depths of the Lord Jesus Christ, the more time we spend discovering his treasures of wisdom and knowledge, the deeper our roots will grow and the stronger we will be built up in him. We will then be strengthened in the faith as we are built up stronger. And then an outflow of that is an overflowing with thankfulness. So thankfulness will will flow out from us as we dig our roots deeper, as we grow stronger, as we're built up in the Lord. Thankfulness will overflow. What's so beautiful about this is that look really closely at this and it's clear that the thankfulness that we express or the thankfulness that flows out of us has absolutely nothing to do with this world. Nothing. (laughs) The thankfulness that will flow out of us has nothing to do with our earthly possessions or our earthly positions earthly careers or our earthly treasures of any kind, the thankfulness that flows out of us here is because our roots are growing deep into the Lord Jesus Christ. We're being strengthened and built up into maturity in the Lord Jesus Christ. And thankfulness is pouring out as a result. It has nothing to do with earthly treasures. It's all about digging our roots deep into the treasures of Jesus. And then in verse 8, he encourages us again. He goes back to almost the exact same thing as what he says in verse 4. And in verse 8, he says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. So he expands on what he said in verse 4. In verse 4, he says, don't let anyone deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. In verse 8, he circles back to that same thing, but he expands on it and says, don't let anyone take you captive through hollow deceptive, empty philosophies. Those would be fine-sounding arguments. But they depend on human tradition 
and the elemental spiritual forces of this world. That would be demonic forces that have infiltrated our world and our culture with lies that sound good. The lies from the enemy, they sound good. They are fine sounding arguments, but they depend on the things of the world and not on Christ. But if we have grown our roots so deep into the treasures of Christ, and if we can continually find ourselves mining the treasures of wisdom and knowledge that are found in the Lord Jesus Christ, if we focus our attention on discovering Jesus and everything within him, then these empty philosophies from the world, these deceptive philosophies from the world, these demonic philosophies from the world will be very clear to us. One of the things I pray daily as I pray the armor of God over our family, one of the pieces of the armor of God from from Ephesians chapter 6 is the helmet of salvation. And whenever I pray the helmet of salvation over each of our family members, I always just say a simple phrase. I say truth in and lies out. That the helmet of salvation would protect our minds, keeping the truth in and the lies out. The truth in and the lies out. That is my prayer as I put the helmet on each person. And a scripture verse that I often will recite with it is that we would take our thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. That's 2 Corinthians 10.5, that we would take our thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ so that we do not get caught up and taken captive through fine-sounding, deceptive arguments. This week, as we wrap up this podcast, this week my encouragement, my deep prayer and encouragement for you is that you would seek out the treasures of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would spend time with Jesus, just seeking Jesus. Read parables that Jesus taught, where he is just pouring out wisdom and knowledge to his disciples. And through the parables, get to know Jesus, the teacher of this incredible wisdom and knowledge. Read about his life and his death and his resurrection. Read any part of the Bible because it all points us to Jesus. Spend time sitting with Jesus. Ask him a simple question, Jesus, what do you want me to know about you? And just sit with it. Get a pen and some paper, a notebook perhaps, even if you're not a journaler, and ask Jesus, Jesus, what would you like me to know about who you are and write down whatever you hear or if that is an uncomfortable exercise that you're not quite there for take your pen and your paper and write down Colossians 1 verses 15 through 20 the sun is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. 
He is the beginning and the firstborn amongst from the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Go ahead and just write that out. Maybe write it out in more than one translation. Just get to know Jesus. Spend time knowing Jesus, seeking Jesus, because dear friend, he is the treasure. He is the mystery of God, and he is the treasure of all of humanity. Praise be to God that he gives us the treasure. He gives us the treasure. Let's seek it. Let's seek it. Amen and amen. I hope you have a wonderful day. Bye.